Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. I'm Brett Hill, and today I'm without my regular co-host, Damien and Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence is once again off overseas, I think in Singapore this time. Damien was unable to be here for this one today, so you've just got me, but you've also got an amazing special guest. So this week I'm joined by Andrea Carella. She's a psychotherapist. She's the host of Relationship Lovecast Radio and the founder of True Potential Counseling. She provides life-changing counseling to couples who are dealing with communication problems, infidelity, sexual issues, and parenting challenges. It sounds like, like sounds great, Andrew. It sounds like there's going to be lots of great information that our listeners are going to get a lot of information out of. So welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be on, Brett. Oh, it's great to have you on board. It's such an important topic. And as I said, I know that there will be so many people amongst our tribe of listeners who have had or having or you know may go through in the future challenges in all of these areas. So it's great to have an expert like yourself on board to talk about it. So tell us a little bit about your journey, Andrea. How did you become, what made you become a psychotherapist in the first place? What a great question. I think I always knew when I was in high school, predominantly is when I realized that I wanted to be a psychotherapist. I remember meeting with uh, the psychologist at at the school, and my parents were going through a, a divorce, actually. And speaking with the psychotherapist, I thought, wow, you get to help people improve the quality of their life. You get to engage with people all day long, and you get paid for it. And I thought, wow, this is, this is definitely a profession mm-hmm. I want to get involved in. So that's basically what <coughs> prompted me uh, down this path. I, I was interested in diplomacy and international relations for quite some time. I was interested in being a foreign service officer and, and working to help countries collaborate and resolve conflict and mediate. And I realized that in order to have the impact that I wanted to make in the world, I needed to go from a, a macro to a micro because the macro seemed to have a lot of bureaucracy involved and I really wanted to help people from the inside out. So becoming a psychotherapist just reaffirmed that for me that meeting with one couple at a time or one individual at a time could actually create the massive impact that I was hoping to make of incorporating and expanding more peace uh, and love in, in our world. So that's really what got me started. Nice. And, and you mentioned briefly there your parents' divorce. I hope you don't mind me asking about that. But w- was, that a, was that a driver for you, like what you went through and saw your parents go through? Was that something that sort of drove you to want to help people do that better or perhaps as well as your parents did? I'm not quite sure. 
Sure. Yeah. I think as a, as a child, I observed patterns. I observed different themes and issues that my parents dealt with. And I was a keen observer and being able, I think that's basically where I started developing my observation skills, my listening skills, being able to be really empathetic uh, to both parties to really understand that it's not just one person or the other, but really looking at the dynamics and the patterns that are not working. And so I think that that is part of what inspires me to do the work that I do because that dynamic that plays out in the home has such an impact to those two individuals that are arguing, but also has a significant impact on the lives of the children that live in that home and ultimately in the day-to-day life. And so being able to help support couples who, who do struggle, I think all couples deal with disagreement, but being able to resolve conflict effectively and actually move through disagreements and come out the other side is really what children need to be able to learn and witness. And I think a lot of us don't learn those things in school. We don't learn it in high school. We learn math and science and English, but we really don't learn about one of the most important skill sets and areas of our life, which is relationships. And so I want to be able to close the gap between what we know and what we need to know around communication and relationships and intimacy. That's awesome. So why do you think that gap is there, Andrea? Obviously, you've just mentioned that perhaps there is a gap in, in our educational system, but, but is there something else that's causing there to be, I guess, this, this struggle, this dynamic that goes on? I mean, obviously, relationship issues do seem to be quite common and quite prevalent in our society. It seems to be something that a lot of people are struggling and dealing with. Do you think that's just a natural state of being, or do you think there's something in our environment, in our upbringing, in our society that's meaning that that's happening perhaps more than it otherwise would have? I think there are a lot of contributing factors. One factor is a difficulty having empathy for another person, perhaps also a difficulty tolerating distress. I think another factor is what was modeled to us in our own family of origin. How did our parents deal with disagreements or conflict? How did we approach things in our work projects with other classmates or with friends who guided us or did we have a lack of guidance in how to resolve conflict? And then I think ultimately if we aren't really conscious or mindful or we didn't have any guidance in those areas, we resort to a default pattern, which is really our ego, which is really what can I get? How can I get my needs met or how can I protect myself? So really it can go back even to that primal fight-flight-freeze response that is very primitive in all of us. So I think that there are a lot of contributing factors as well as personality, interpersonal dynamics, how you listen or if you listen. I think sometimes when we are triggered, a, a lot of times it's really based on the interpretations that we make as opposed to really what is happening. So that's another factor that can make communication all that more complex and difficult to understand when two people come with two different lenses in the conversation and are trying to get on the same page. So I think gaining some insight in either developing skills in those areas that limit us or becoming really aware of family patterns so that we can break out of them 
and shift into a new way of operating opens up a space for something new to develop. Nice. And, and you get, I guess you mentioned there quite a, a couple of times, you mentioned role modeling and, and the impact on, you know, the, I guess the environment around us and, you know, and you mentioned tribal and primal and, you know, I wonder how much has the, I guess, the breakdown of perhaps the family unit, but also the broader community unit, you know, where now we tend to be more seemingly more isolated in our own homes rather than perhaps, you know, a more tribal way of going, you know, I traveled to the Solomon Islands and I saw the way they the whole tribe, you know, raises a child and they, they help each other out and spend time together. And I wonder how much those changes in our society have affected our ability to to learn these, I guess, coping strategies and to learn these communication techniques and to learn how to interact and empathize with other people. Do you think that's had a big impact? Oh, I think you bring up a, a very significant point. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that, that is another factor that also is a contributor is the cultural and societal influence whether it be a collectivist society, whether it be an individualistic society. Also, the fact that we have become much more isolated as we become a much more transient, globalized society, we feel a little bit more disconnected. And so with some of that disconnect, we lose some of that accountability or that we basically have a lot of autonomy. And so that collective unit or that that need to be part of a tribe, although we really need that, we can get away with it since we're, we're much mm. more isolated and, and spread out. And, and I is- think that two things are happening in our world. One is that we are so transient and we are moving towards such expansive globalization that it's requiring people to step outside their comfort zone and adapt and learn about different ways and perspectives and philosophies. And that's what's helping us grow. But I think also if we don't have, if we have deficits in these areas of being able to empathize, tolerate distress, listen, understand, then it can be, be difficult um, in that transition. So I think that there are a couple of things going on and we're also raising the consciousness in our on the planet and in the way we're dealing with things. So depending on where we are on that spectrum, we'll have different skills and resources and development that is going on. And do you think that's part of why we are having more difficulty empathizing? Do you think that's because we don't get exposed to as many perhaps different people or different ideas? I mean, obviously, you know, with the internet and the globalization, we're getting exposed to in many ways, lots more ideas, but I guess uh, not necessarily one-on-one and actually dealing with individuals with different ideas. Do you do you think that's part of that empathy picture? I think that empathy can become present where there's an opportunity for intimacy to occur. And what I mean by that is that we take the time to be with another person, to listen to the other person, to share, to comprehend, to imagine putting ourselves in that other person's shoes. And... In our fast-paced society, we tend to be go, 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 and there are a lot of distractions that pull us away from intimacy even with ourselves and with our relationship with time. And that also bleeds into our intimacy that is available for us in relationships. So I think the importance of being able to be in the present moment as opposed to striving towards the future all the time or being stuck in the past of how things used to be I think being able to be in the present moment and be intimate with ourselves as well as being intimate with another human being and opening up that exchange allows for 
empathy to occur, being able to imagine being in that other person's shoes, being able to understand their point of view, and vice versa. I, I think also it's it's a matter of being able to receive that validation too, to receive somebody else's empathy allows us to desire to reciprocate. And so mm-hmm. I think it's really this exchange of developing that empathy and making it a mutual exchange in those intimate relationships that matter most to us. Yeah, I think that's great because I think it's it's so easy to want someone else to be empathetic of you. <laughs> but but then, you know, really mm-hmm. most of the time it's about what you are giving to the other person, you know, is, is what you can control and what often can have the biggest or make the biggest difference, I think. So um, obviously we're starting to move towards some solutions here. And, and, you know, you speak about breaking free of the negative thought processes that cause people to doubt themselves and their partner. You know, what are, obviously we've perhaps spoken about some of those negative thought processes, but are there others there that you see commonly? And, and how do we break free from those? Mm, I think some negative thought processes are interpreting a lot of times our brains are geared to think five steps ahead of where we are. It's part of our survival mechanism. But sometimes in those moments where we're thinking five steps ahead, we may <coughs> be missing some data or hmm. input yeah. because we're making some assumptions. And so I think that can be a process that we have to be conscious of because that can pull us away from the reality of what's presently being said or factually happening in that present moment as opposed to the meaning that we attach to what that is. So I think that's uh, the first thing. I think another negative thought processes is when we are focusing on what we're going to say next as opposed to actually just actively and attentively listening and holding space for another person. So uh, a lot of times we may have some chatter of thoughts that we have that actually distract us from actually holding space and and being present with another person. So being able to manage that is going to be important. I think also another negative thought processes is believing that the other person's the enemy, especially in that moment of tension. We may resort to getting and protecting behaviors and so being able to, uh, to recognize that that other person isn't the enemy, but rather the negative communication cycle that you both are stuck in is the enemy, that can create a, a huge paradigm shift so that the couple can really be a united front as opposed to being divided. Mm. And that can allow the couple to be unified as they're starting to examine what patterns they tend to get stuck in. And then that creates more of an observation process of being mindful of those patterns as opposed to being so enmeshed and stuck in them. That's awesome. And and I tell you what, you know, you start listing those off and, and you definitely, for myself, I definitely start recognizing some of those habits and thinking, yeah, I, I can do that sometimes. I can do that sometimes. And, and certainly some of those, I think, you know, particularly the, the overthinking and, and the thinking five steps ahead of, you know, what you're going to say next is, is definitely something that I'm guilty of and, and particularly have been guilty of in the past and have you know, been working on improving. So um, I can definitely relate to those. And I think lots of people could. So um, how do you start improving on that? How do you start doing that better? Mm. Well, a lot of things that I do with the couples that come and see me in my office and also uh, in, my, in my program, my, my Create a Relationship You Love program, I go through... The, the steps of different tools that 
that couples can use and implement so that they can start breaking out of those patterns so that they can start being able to be more mindful. I think also being able to regulate emotions, to tolerate distress, to learn strategies of interpersonal effectiveness. And one one key pattern of interpersonal effectiveness that I can share with you on the call is a way of being able to communicate what is happening and, and making a statement such as when you say X, and it's being a factual statement, being able to acknowledge and take ownership and responsibility of your feelings. For example, when you say X factually, not interpretation, but was factually said, I feel, and then sharing your emotions because my need for, and then being able to really discern what is the need that you're needing. Are you needing understanding? Are you needing affection? Are you needing connection? Are you needing space? And then making a request in the future, would you be able to do X? And and the last piece of the request is really communicating something clearly that you would like the other person to, to do or how you would um, request them to approach that situation in the future. And then what you do is you let go of the yes or no. If they respond yes or no, yes, I will work on that or no. Um, either way, then you go back to the same structure of, oh, when you say that you are unwilling to do X, I feel because my need for isn't being met and this is what I request. So there are cert- that can be – that's just one little nugget of something that I cover in the program. There, there are actually lots of different layers because there are so many contributing factors, as I mentioned at the beginning, that contribute to difficulties and challenges in these areas of communication and intimacy. But that can be a way, a starting point on how, how couples can, can get started. But I think that there's a lot of foundational work that needs to happen that can help Um, gain some insight into some of those patterns. Like, for example, uh, I offer a a free three-part video series. And in the series, basically, it helps give you some of those nuggets and and pieces of information that can get you started on that path. Nice. Uh, Great. So, you know, that's obviously a great way to communicate. And, And I guess sometimes for people, they'll find that structure really hard to begin with. I know certainly for myself, when I've been doing some of this self-work and reading different books and you know you take on these new ways of doing things at first it can feel really clunky and it can feel a bit fake and and it's a bit hard to work through that initially you know how do you how do people overcome that um that sort of weirdness of of trying to change often you know lifetimes worth of habits and communication styles Mm. I think the first thing that that I do in my office when I meet with clients is we identify what their current patterns are and just being, I think really in the process is where they share where they are struggling and then to actually receive validation and understanding from a third party that can observe can help you start gaining more insight. Because I think one of the the main blind spots for us is that we don't know that we don't know. For example, we're yeah. so far in it that we don't even know what we're doing that's contributing to where we're stuck. And 
for example, I, I'll share a story with you. I, I just recently started working with a personal trainer and I, I obviously know how to exercise. I'm, I'm an athlete. I, I've trained before and I've been on team sports and so on. But in my 30s, I, I've gotten out of the habit or out of the routine to exercising. And so having that accountability partnership or having that outside observer guiding the way and helping to facilitate the process, it just helps me excel more or be able to modify my form that I otherwise may not have even been conscious that I was using a poor form in in stretching or lifting that weight. And so I think being able to first get out of that that block of not even realizing where you're stuck <laughs> and having that outside observer is really can just save you yourself a lot of time and energy because you actually gain a lot of insight instantaneously in a matter of moments and that creates the momentum to start shifting out of that pattern so that can be very powerful that's the, yeah. I, probably the most powerful first step yeah great and, and i think definitely as you said sometimes it is just a matter of feeling heard and, and sometimes having that third party there can be really beneficial to that. Uh, I've, I've also, I've just been finished reading a book, Andrea, I'm not sure if you're aware of it. It's called Getting the Love You Want by a guy called Harville Hendricks, which was yes, a great book. Yes, I've read it. It's a great book and, and I've really enjoyed reading it and I've definitely had some, you know, aha moments as I've gone through it. But, you know, you spoke before, I guess, about how to communicate your wants and needs to your partner. But one of the things this book talks about as well is about how to receive that and how to make sure that you're actively listening and, and you know you sort of touched on that before when you're talking about empathy and interpretation and those sort of things and and he suggests that that there should be three stages to that listening you know to mirror what they've said to validate what they've said and then to empathize you know is that the sort of is that a similar structure to what you would recommend in terms of the the listening and, and actively listening part of it sure yeah i think that what i what i do and what my approach is is that when I see a couple struggling, let's let's say, for example, a, a married couple where one person, they're both activated on a certain topic. And I think being able to do two things simultaneously, and this is where the dual attention piece can be challenging for people, is to be consciously aware of what's getting activated in yourself emotionally thoughts and being able to set it aside rarely, be acknowledging that it's there, but being able to set it aside enough so that you can actually be present with the other person's feelings, needs, mm. and activation. And so being able to hold your energy around that same heated topic and being able to be a receiver and listening to that other person's experience of activation it allows you to understand where they're coming from. And then vice versa for the other person when now they're on the receiving end and the other person now is, has acknowledged what they've heard from their partner, now they're sharing what else is, happens to them in those moments. Then now the other person has received the validation that they've been heard, that they've been understood and acknowledged. And then they're also receptive to the second piece of, wow, my partner also has an experience too mm. that I probably should pay attention to. Because I think a lot of times we are so focused on the I that we lose sight of the we. And the we is, is basically the end game for both people, is basically 
what both of you are in it for to win it. <laughs> yeah. Really the we. And so, but that approach of of being able to acknowledge your I experience and to be able to validate your partner's I experience and have that vice versa exchange helps create a solid we. Yeah. And I think that's what I've found from sort of sticking to that structure. As I said, it can kind of, it can feel a bit weird at first. It can feel a bit clunky at first, but it, but it just forces you to, to be conscious of well, what are they saying? You know, how, you know, how do I validate that? How do I empathize with that? And to make sure that you really are, you know, consciously looking at that from the other person's perspective. And, and as much as I guess, you know, you think that you're doing that, then when you're forced to actually do that within the structure, you realize that you can do that even better as well, which I think is really cool. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, Andrew, you've spoken as well about rediscovering the intimacy and passion with a partner. You know, how do we go about doing that for, for couples, I guess, maybe some couples who've been together for a long time, or maybe they just felt like they've drifted apart. How do they reconnect with that? Well, I think it's also being able to revisit what were some of those things that, that bonded you together in the first place? What were some of those experiences that that allowed you to nurture the relationship, those turns of endearment, those pieces of affection, demonstration of affection, quality time, attending to each other, um, nurturing one another. So I think being able to prioritize the relationship is important, to be able to recognize those those periods of time that are really sacred for the couple. It could be a date night where couples get re-engaged with one another. I think a lot of times, especially for people that have children, that their relationship almost takes a back seat and people get caught up in their role as a parent or their role as a provider or their role as a caretaker. And so those roles become so pervasive that the roles of being in relationship get sidestep all the other pieces. So I think some of the some of the pieces is prioritizing the relationship and really making that relationship sacred. So being able to use those terms of endearment, dedicating quality time to one another, being able to prioritize intimacy whether it be affection, demonstration of affection, um, improving their sex life, maintaining a sense of pleasure and play and laughter in their ongoing interactions with one another so that they can be good friends. Because I think when people are good friends and they enjoy each other's company and they do things together that are enjoyable and that they demonstrate that love and that care through acts of service, touch, quality time, that those those things build into the relationship and make it stronger. Nice. That that just all makes so much sense, Andrea. So um, one of the things you touched on, though, was, I guess, finding the balance between um, parenting and relationships. And, and I know that that can be really challenging for lots of people. Um, I know certainly for myself, finding the balance there can be really tricky. You know, I've got two small kids. They're four and six. And uh, and I have a partner. And, and trying to find that balance, you know, between... Um, well, just wanting to do everything for your kids. You know, you just want to be there for your kids. You want them to give them absolutely everything you possibly can. Um, but then finding time for a relationship and, and I guess being fair to your partner within that as well. Um, you know, how do you, how do you find that balance? What's the trick there, Andrea? Sure. I, well, I'll share a personal story. I, I think something that my husband and I 
we we basically do this where we we both have very busy schedules. Uh, he has his own business in Italy. I have my business here. Um, we have very active schedules. Yet at the same time, we also organize our schedule in a way that we create flex time. We create this room in our schedule that is free for ourselves individually and as well as in our relationship. So we dedicate two nights a week to a date night that is prioritized in our schedule. We also both have a common interest of running and athletics. So we run together. We also have a tea time where we do a check-in. I, I imagine if the Brits do it, that they have a good thing going. So why not, why not you know, inherit that ritual in our life? So we do this, this tea time where we check in with each other. How is your day? How are things going? How are, how are we doing? You know, what, what things do we want to do in the future? What are things that we want to do this week? And connecting with one another on that intimate level on a regular basis. Since this is something really important to me, uh, my relationship is, is a very important aspect of my life. So we incorporate and we prioritize those, those aspects of our relationship so that we can thrive when we do have children, so that those rituals become commonplace for us. Nice. And and so we're almost out of time here, Andrew. But there, there was one thing, more thing I wanted to talk to you about was just, you know, how to handle success and I guess in particular failure in everyday life. You know, I think uh, I think sometimes, you know, dealing with those challenges can be really tricky for individuals but also for couples. You know, how do we deal with that more effectively? Mm. Well, I think it, it also depends on how we look at success and how we look at failure. I think sometimes we we look at failure as something negative. And depending on how we we frame it, we can have a different experience of it. So the way I look at failure is I look at it as a breakdown that occurs right before a breakthrough. Um, for example, there are many times, like Thomas Edison, when he was inventing the light bulb, basically they said, wow, you you discovered light and it only it took you 10,000 times to discover this and he said he said yes i i needed to find out 10,000 ways to do it incorrectly before i found the one way that worked and so i think having that attitude of uh in going through our relationship or our life is what can i do to increase my chances of success what is going to be the fastest way, the most effective way, the best way to conserve my energy, to be able to get the support that I need so that I'm as successful as possible? And so I think being able to increase our chances for success is something that is within our realm of control. And then I think also how we face those moments where we break down and how we overcome them and how we respond to them really is makes or breaks us, makes all the difference in how successful we're going to be in our life overall. Yeah. So I think being able to to take those insights and, and look at failure and success in those uh, ways can be, and apply it, can be very effective. 
Nice. Now, we're totally out of time, Andrea, but I have to ask one more question because it's coming to my head as we've answered that. And so mm. how do we know when it's a breakdown that's on the way to a breakthrough or when it's a breakdown that means this isn't the right relationship for us, we should be moving on? How, how do you possibly know which of those is going on? Oh, wow. That, I think that that's a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to answer in an absolute black or white, this or that sort yeah. of question. I think that there is a lot of complexity to that. And there are so many dimensions to that question and so many dimensions to that answer. I think it really is a case by case basis. And obviously, if you want me to come back on the show, I'd be more than happy to expand on that because I, I think that that is a common question that many people have. And unfortunately, it, it would, take way too long probably to answer it (laughs) that's okay i think you've probably answered that which is maybe it is a case-by-case thing and perhaps by contacting someone like andrea and getting some counseling might be what you need to do if you're in that situation i have a feeling from what you've said Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on today, Andrew. This has been absolutely wonderful. I know this is an episode that uh, many people are going to be appreciating and loving. I know that this is definitely an episode many people are going to be forwarding on to their friends and possibly even their partners to have a listen to. Um, mm-hmm. So much great information. There's so much great, inf- more great information you can get from Andrea. So if you want to find out more, make sure you head to her website, which is truepotentialcounseling.com. Um, as Andrew said, there's a three-part video series there for couples. Um, you'll also find links there to her podcast show, which is Relationship Lovecast Radio. Um, and she's also got a new program coming out soon, which is called Create a Relationship You Love, which sounds fantastic. Um, if you want to find Andrea on social media, you go to facebook.com forward slash truepotentialcounseling. Um, you can find her on Twitter, which is An- Andrea Carella, which is C-I-A-R. E-L-L-A. You can find her on... C-A-I, sorry. Oh, sorry, I've got it wrong. C-A-I. Thank you, I'm glad you corrected me. I've written it down wrong. Hopefully you can edit that out. (laughs) That's all right, I'll just leave it in, that'll be fine. Uh, You can find her on Pinterest at the same Andrea Carella and YouTube, Andrea Carella. So thank you so much, Andrea. Absolute pleasure today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Great. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Couch Show. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.